welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. This podcast, hosted by Kate Agnew and Marie Ferguson, will empower you to realize your professional dreams by giving you access to our global community of dietitians. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we'll educate you, inspire you, and help you create more impact as a dietitian. Welcome to another Dietitian Connection podcast. My name is Marie Ferguson and I'm the director and founder of Dietitian Connection. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today, and I'd also like to pay my respects to elders past and present. It's my absolute pleasure today to welcome a very special podcast guest, uh, Dr. Anne Voss. Anne was my manager at Abbott Nutrition in the US in the early 2000s, and Anne was so instrumental in changing the direction of my career, and I'm so grateful for the, for the opportunity she gave me to work at Abbott so early in my career and the experience that has led to that and to where I am today with Dietitian Connection. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to give you a little background about Anne, which doesn't at all do her justice, um, but... Anne Wright speaks and consults on oncology nutrition following a career in nutrition research at Abbott Nutrition. And Anne has experience in the creation of international nutrition guidelines for pressure ulcers, renal disease, and oncology. She served on the Oncology Evidence Analysis Library, the Council on Research for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, and most recently has edited the just-published Oncology Nutrition for Clinical Practice, the second edition. Prior to this, Anne has also worked at the Ohio State University College of Medicine and was a clinical dietitian at University Hospitals and John Hopkins Hospital. She's published over 75 journal articles, monographs and book chapters and is listed in the who's who in the world. And it's my absolute great pleasure to have you to join us today, Anne. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, before we get started, I thought it might be helpful for the listeners to um, know how we met, um, which I think was back in 1998. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, at Boston, the um, FINCI, which is the American Dietetics Association, now the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics con annual conference. And I think we met in Boston, if I'm correct. I think, I think you're right. I think, I think you're it was right. 1998. Um, and I was presenting some of my PhD research and there was an uh, international reception and um, Abbott was the sponsor. And so I was able to meet Anne at this um, networking reception. Um, Judy Bauer and Marilyn Banks, I think, were with me at that time. I can't remember whether Sandra was there or not, who were my PhD supervisors. And um, and it was just incredible to meet you at that reception. I always tell students, you know, you, you have to go to these networking receptions and you never know who you meet or never know where you'll end up. So, <laughs> And how your life will change. Exactly. And I couldn't, I couldn't have imagined. Um, and then I don't know what you saw in me, but you offered me a job and that was, I think the year later and I was, I just finished my PhD and I was traveling around Europe with my sister. We were backpacking and we were in Germany. I can't remember which city, but um, I was checking email potentially expecting an email from you and was at the top of a, um, a um, department store. Internet was very hard to come by back in those days um, and you had to go to, to get free internet. It was like shopping centres, department stores, um, and there were um, so many um, young teenagers wanting to use the computer and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't leave because 
you had sent me an email offering me the job at Abbott and I was just, you know, so excited and so grateful. Um, so that's where it all began. Well, it, it was so interesting because I, whenever I emailed you, you always answered immediately. <laughs> and this time there wasn't an answer. Oh. And I knew something was different. And then I learned that you were traveling. And so then it was so exciting and fun to, to get your reply. That's so funny, Anne, because, you know, pretty much my whole life I have been very responsive to email, but um, lately I've actually been having a little bit more work-life balance and I'm trying not to, not to respond to email in a very timely fashion anymore. Um, but I want to talk a little bit, obviously, about you. Um, so if we go all the way back, to, um, you know, why did you decide to be a dietitian, Anne? Um, my um, cousin was a dietitian, my favorite cousin. And um, when I was um, 13, one of the um, things that you had to do at, at that age was to pick a, uh, a career that you might be interested in and then tell your class about it and uh, it, have a little bit of experience. So I used my cousin as my example and um, things just grew from there. And she knew about a new program at Ohio State University in medical dietetics. It was the co first coordinated undergraduate program. And although we um, could have gone to one of the universities in Indiana, she recommended this brand new program. And um, so then I was accepted in that program and really appreciated that opportunity. I don't think I knew that. That's why I love doing these these podcast chats because I always learn something new. Um, what what was her main area? Of, where did she mainly work in? Um, she was much more in um, the management area, um, and uh, she went to Purdue University in Indiana and then worked at Yale. Um, uh, and she was so creative and interesting. I knew that I wanted to the clinical aspect. I wasn't so interested in the management or the, you know, food preparation, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why the program at Ohio State was so perfect for me. And then where did you go from there? Could you tell us a little bit about your career path and journey? I know you've you worked in a number of interesting places, including overseas in Germany. Yeah. Yes. Tell us a little My bit about first job was at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. Um, I grew up in a very small town and wanted to um, be in a larger city. Uh, and so I interviewed at a couple of um, um, hospitals in big towns, big cities. And um, so I was there for a while and then eventually came back to um, Ohio and worked at uh, the university hospitals there in Ohio. Um, and after I was married, um, my husband was stationed in Germany in the army. He was a dentist. And um, uh, so uh, we were in rather small clinics. He worked in very small clinics. And you can imagine that at uh, the young soldiers, very few of them had severe conditions that would require um, a dietitian in complex nutrition counseling. So I mostly did um, worked with um, young mothers uh, and that was lots of fun. And that was obviously all through through the clinic um, with yes. with the like with their infants and toddlers as well. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 
because any anybody who would have had a serious illness would have been sent back to the states to um, for for care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think I told you, but I, I did a, a cruise out of Baltimore um, a couple of years ago, and I thought I had a DVT, <laughs> and so I ended up at John Hopkins in order to try to get. But they couldn't see me, so I wasn't able to be seen there, but I did think of you. I thought this is the place I need to go. <laughs> um, and then you obviously, after Germany, you returned to the US and then right. my understanding was you then went back to Ohio State University. Oh, well, the children were little. We had three children um, and they were quite small. So I did a little bit of um, private nutrition counseling for a few dentists and physicians, but only very minor because we were quite busy with the children. But I decided that I wanted to take a class at the university um, and uh I just sort of got carried away and started taking more and more classes. I knew I'd always wanted to be in research, um, but didn't expect to do it that early in uh, uh, in my career. I started my PhD when the kids were two, three, and five. Um, and I must have lost my mind. <laughs> yeah. That's what I say again to students, do the path that I did um, to it when you don't have any kids and you're not working. <laughs> I don't know how you did it with kids. <laughs> um, but what was it about research that, you know, that you were so interested in research? Um, it, I, I was always fascinated with the idea of learning something new, solving problems. Um, and I... Uh, even early in um, university training, I was very interested in uh, any any of the clinicians that I worked with who were doing a little bit of research. Um, and part of our curriculum was one or two um, research courses. And it was actually conducting. We, we really didn't know what we were doing. But, I mean, they had us, you know, collect a little data with patients. Um, and it was that idea of the experience rather than having a perfectly designed study or doing statistics mm-hmm. or anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just kind of uh, uh, encouraged me to uh, continue that interest. Mm-hmm. And then from there you went to Abbott and, and how, how did that come about? Oh, um, well, I worked for, um, let's see, I think it was eight or nine years at the university in the medical school doing um, uh, active research. Uh, and then was recruited to, um, because of some of the work that I had, had done mm-hmm. in uh, omega-3 fatty acids, um, I was recruited to, to to Abbott. I would say Abbott was the most incredible place. I just felt like there were at least 50, if not more, dietitians with PhDs. I mean, it was an incredible place to work for a research dietitian. Yeah, we, we always said that we thought we had most of the PhD dietitians in the country. That's not quite so true anymore. But at, at <laughs> I think you time, did. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And was it nearly 30 years you were at Abbott? It was 23 years. 23, yeah. 23. Yeah. And what, yes. were, what were some of your roles and projects over that time? Well, um, I... In the beginning, I was a clinical research associate, so doing um, uh, and monitoring and helping with um, clinical research, uh, and that gave a really good foundation. Um, I uh, also um, developed um, a, uh, a, the concept of outcomes research there at Abbott um, and was able to recruit a few people to do um, that work. 
Um, I also uh, worked in renal disease as well as oncology. And they seem so um, disparate, but in fact, if you think about it, there are a lot of similarities between renal disease and oncology. Both have to do with inflammation, both have to do with serious underlying illness and sometimes many comorbidities, and both require very careful um, dietetic intervention. I think that's what I was really drawn to was the outcomes research because that was quite novel back then. Um, it was yourself and Patricia Splett was writing about it at the time. And that yes. you know, yeah. had was with you at Abbott. Um, and, you know, I think we're doing a lot more in that space today, but there's still a lot, so much more that we could do in terms of capturing, you know. Yes. Your point about um, uh, Abbott, um, I mean, think about that. That was very innovative at the time. And for mm-hmm. Abbott to have considered how important that was going to be in the future, um, I thought, that, you know, that was very exciting. Yeah. So looking at things like um, uh, not only the clinical interventions, but the economics of mm-hmm. nutrition care um, and the quality of life, uh, patient satisfaction, all those um, issues related to uh, outcomes are really important. Yeah, and they're still relevant today in terms of, the, you know, that's how we have to sell dietetic services to, you know, managers of hospitals. We need to be able to have those, those outcome, that outcome data. Um, right, exactly. I think with the electronic medical records that we've got these days, it's going to be much easier to do that in the future than it was in the past. Yeah. What was your PhD on, Anne? That laugh about this. Um, I, I think before I even say it, I, I will explain that a PhD is really about learning to learn. Mm-hmm. And um, so my PhD dissertation was in ATP citrate lyase, a lonely little enzyme. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that my mother and my PhD advisor are the only ones in the world that ever written my dissertation. <laughs> And I know that none of that data was ever used, but it was a very good background um, and foundation for future research. <laughs> so you spent a lot of time in the lab during that period? Oh, yeah. It was yeah, all, yeah. all lab. All lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think PhDs in the lab space, I don't know, there's somewhat more control than there is with the human patient oh, element. <laughs> you, know, you, you could do a study with 10, 10 rats or mice or something. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the statistic was extremely easy. Yeah. And, uh, so the pros and cons. <laughs> yes, exactly. But <laughs> um, you're obviously a lifelong learner and very similar to myself. Um, you know, how do you stay across everything? You know, there's... Um, I know you're really busy and you do so many things, but how do you manage to keep on top of what's coming out in the research and um, stay on, you know, keep up to date? I think I learned very early um, that uh, you have to focus, you know, what your what your concentration is or what your interest is in the in the beginning, um, especially when I was first at Abbott, I was collecting articles on everything thinking oh you know I had to know everything about everything and you can't possibly read it all you know so I'd had files of things that I had never read and it 
quickly sorted itself out that there would be um, two or three um, complex subjects that I would concentrate on. And then there'd be other things, you know, a little bit in management, a little bit in um, personnel and that sort of thing that you needed to understand and read about. But I think it is as soon as you can in your career, if you can identify something that you really love, um, that's very helpful. Yeah, that's such a great tip in terms of finding your niche. And I always try to get students to think about, you know, what are their, what's their passion, what's their strengths and, and put those together and, you know, specialise in something and you can become really, uh, have experience and knowledge in a, in a, in a unique area. Um, so I think that that's wonderful that you were able to do that so early. Um, and I, I think um, uh, one of the reasons I was so interested in oncology is that it was a bit of an orphan area. Um, I, it, it, I mean, it was clear to dietitians that this would be important, um, nutrition intervention in, in caring for these patients and families. Um, and uh, but it was always very difficult to get um, um, oncologists and other clinicians interested in the area. So it was a bit of a challenge um, and that made it even more interesting. So when I when I first started working with you, we were working on an international multi-center trial um, looking at omega-3 fatty acids and improving lean body mass in patients with cancer, um, which then became a product called ProShore. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that time and, you know, how the idea came about and you know, it was so many of our years of working together. Um, what are your memories of that time? It was so exciting and so interesting. Um, and that was about the time that we had the opportunity to um, uh, uh, hire a, a group. Um, so I was so fortunate to be able to hire four people at a time. That would have been very unusual. And um uh, and it was a huge responsibility. Uh, so I felt that I had to, I couldn't make a mistake. I had to do this right. Um, and the other thing I was concerned about, I was so afraid I would hire people just like me. And that would have been such a mistake. You need people with different personality characteristics and different strengths um, to make a good team. Um, people who would see things in different ways and be able to problem solve in different ways. And um, so thank goodness it worked out. And um, when you when we looked at the personality types, um, there were sort of four quadrants and we had people in all the different quadrants except one. And that one quadrant was um, would have been someone I mean, if I'd had if we'd had a person in that quadrant, that, that person would have had very difficult times in business. So it all worked out. Um, and I, I think from that aspect, then we were able to work with um, people in different countries, with different cultures, um, and help to solve the problems that would arise as we um, conducted this research. Because it was, um, we were looking to get 200 patients and how many years was it in the end that the study? Was it about two years, three years? It was about two years, two but years. it was pancreatic cancer patients. Mm -hmm. And that's not very common. Those patients are very sick. Uh, and it was quite a challenge to find clinicians that were interested in that. Um, and there's one kind of 
funny story that I'll I'll tell. Um, so we had to quickly find um, really capable research sites. Um, and we knew that this needed to be global. It was going to be one of Abbott's first global product um, so that it would be um, hopefully launched in many countries at the same time. So I was challenged to, to find um, really top-notch um, centers. So I was sent on a whirlwind trip to go, um, and it was, I, I remember this so clearly, it was in three continents, um, in seven countries, uh, and 12 research sites to meet, meet with clinicians and convince them that this was a study that they wanted to be involved in. And it was a very short trip. You know, I had one small suitcase and jumped on trains and planes and who knows what um, uh, uh, to try to recruit these, these research sites. And it turned out um, that almost everyone that we visited mm -hmm. were very interested in uh, participating. But the very last place I visited happened to be in Australia. Mm -hmm. By then, I was so tired. I could hardly think straight. And I can remember sort of looking at my briefcase and thinking, I don't think I'm going to take that with me. I think I'll just live it here. <laughs> I was so tired. I thought I simply cannot carry this out and go to the plane. Because in those days, we were getting off the plane um, on an international trip and going right to work. So, mm -hmm. so in, in fact, I didn't have to leave my briefcase in Australia. <laughs> Somebody helped carry it to the plane. It's such a foreign concept that we're not able to travel at this point in time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, yeah, I just, you know, I look back at it and go, it was an incredible, it was an incredible experience to be part of an international trial at that scale um, that then resulted in a product that was launched globally. It was amazing to see it go from the idea to actually to market and how long that takes and all the work that goes into that. I think people don't have a good understanding of what's involved in, um, you know, from a, a research idea to a product being on the market. Do you want to talk a little bit about that process as well? Yeah, yes. And one of the things that's so important to understand is, um, you know, we did the clinical research, but there were all the people behind that um, that helped. I mean, uh, all kinds of departments and people with PhDs in all kinds of areas. Um, so we have product developers and we had to find people who could source all the ingredients um, there was a label design. Uh, we had to decide on the flavors. It was going to be an international product. So how would we select the flavors that would appeal to oncology patients all over the world? Um, and that was uh, that was another very interesting study. And um, it turned out that um, the flavors were uh, the most common flavors were vanilla and banana. And um, that was true in every country, even though we tested 52 different flavors. So it ended up being not a cultural preference for flavor, but it was sort of the disease um, process uh, that patients preferred those mild uh, flavors. So that was interesting. Another interesting thing we had to think about was when we were ready to manufacture this product, um, when it was going on the market, um, uh, is where was it going to be manufactured? What plant? And what would we have to do 
um, or what would have to be done um, in order for that to happen. And the fish oil, um, it was a very special fish oil that was um, uh, uh, sourced um, that had to be higher in EPA than DHA. Um, that was important because that was the uh, ingredient or, or the active um, uh, part of that product. And so it turns out that most of the plants had these large oil tanks that would have been for different kinds of oils, but we couldn't mix them couldn't use another tank. So this had to be a very special um, uh, isolated tank. The fish oil would um, uh, leave a flavor in that tank that we wouldn't want mm. for other products. So somebody had to have known that and understood it. Somebody had to order those tanks, shut down the uh, plant uh, in order to install that tank and then um, to manufacture those products. So that, that was something that it gives you an indication of how many different extremely talented people had to be involved in getting this product to market mm -hmm. uh, and sourcing all those ingredients, developing that product so that it would be um, something that um, people could drink. Yeah, I always found the uh, flavor masking really interesting. So it was the, the tropical fruits, the banana that masked the fish oil. Uh, yeah, yeah, so the, the sensory team that figured all of that out was incredible. Yes, yes. I think it does show um, how much of a team effort that process is in getting something to market. And um, I remember um, like email and, and the internet were quite quite new then. And so it was probably one of the first websites Abbott had back yes. then as well. And we worked on the website together. And, and you know, then you also had to think about all the regulations in different countries. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, so we had um, all our regulatory people that worked on that aspect um, of being able to market and sell in the different countries. So, I mean, it's really remarkable what a huge team it would take to launch a product like this. And I've always been so impressed and admired that the, the team that you created um, within your group, um, how did you see the potential in young dietitians? What characteristics were you looking for? You, you know, you talked about um, making sure you had you know, people with different um, strengths and styles. How did you, can you tell us a little bit more about you know, how you recruited? Certainly. Um, well, it was, you know, identifying people. So I, whenever I, thought that I might have an opening, I would always try to have somebody in mind as a possibility. And I'll use you as the example. Um, uh, when I when we met um, at that networking event, um, I was so impressed with your, um, as young as you were, as um, um, being from a different country, and here you were in the US with all these people, and yet, um, you had the courage, the knowledge, the ability, and the interest to introduce yourself um, to different people. And I was very impressed with that. So I wanted to make sure that I could keep track of you um, and know what you were doing. Um, and then uh, when I learned that you, um, as part of your uh, uh, um, university uh, education, had developed the malnutrition screening tool, I knew that that was something that was going to be really important. 
Um, and I asked you to come to Abbott to, to present that data. And once again, you know, that was so unusual um, to, for you to be able to come to uh, a corporate setting uh, and present your data so well and so efficiently. Um, a couple of the other people that were with that were in our group were, had similar um, experiences. Uh, I'd met them at different places, or I'd uh, I gave a talk um, at another meeting, and one of the young women came up to me to meet me, um, and I was uh, was really interesting to meet her, and um, th uh, then that group just sort of grew together, and so there were four of you. Um, and um, of course, you had to go back to Australia, which made us very sad. <laughs> um, but the rest of them are still there. Um, I know. After all these many years, working together yeah. with in very responsible positions now. Yeah. yeah, I'm getting a little emotional, but and a shout out to them. So Abby, Kristen, Katie, Stacy, and Anne was with us for a while. I know they're going to listen to this episode. So we just had such an incredible team. And I don't know how you did it, but you definitely were very successful in doing that. We had an absolute blast and, you know, I'm still able to work with Abby and Abbott today. And uh, I think that's such a credit to the team that you created back then. And I find it, yeah. I was gonna. I, I mean, you all did it yourselves because you were so good. <laughs> but listening to you talk about me, I, I just want to talk about that from from a young dietitians that might be listening because I don't I don't see myself the way you presented me in terms of I was and you know I was the extreme introvert so. Um, and lacked a lot of confidence, um, probably still do. But I guess for the young dietitians listening to, to um, you know, to put yourself out there to, um, especially the introverts, um, yeah, I guess to to take that step and, and introduce yourself to people at, at conferences, um, as we talked about earlier, you, you never know where that might go. Um, so, yeah, I think there's... Um, some learnings for, for young dietitians to put yourself outside of your comfort zone, perhaps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, because you did have such a positive team culture, so how did you create that on a, you know, once you'd hired the team? What sorts of things did you think about? Well, I, I think um, it was so important to um, give each of you um, the opportunity to um, present, to lead the meeting, um, to uh, um, uh, to have a, an important role. So you know, it's very tempting for um, somebody who's leading a team to do the presentation, uh, you know, write the paper you know, that sort of thing. Um, but it, it was so important if you were going to flourish that each one of you had to learn to do that. Um, and, and it was also important to make sure that you were successful, you know, not not making um, uh, uh, opportunities where you had the chance to fail. Um, and so that was really important. The other thing is, is that we worked extremely hard but we had so much fun. 
um, we left time for fun. Um, and that was that was really important because I thought if each of you if the, in the group, if you were friends, you would keep working together, you would stay together and want to be together because it was fun and you had friendships. And that's uh, an important atmosphere to create when you want a, a successful team. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we try to do at DC. Um, it's very hard work. We've got a small lean team and they work very, very hard. But yeah, we definitely try to celebrate the successes along the way. I call it a bit like a roller coaster journey. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I just hats off and kudos to you, and you did an incredible job um, leading that team. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. But I always say you did it to you. You, you each contributed, and it was because of you. No, you need you need each a leader to have developed us. <laughs> um, and you have spent so much of your career in the, the oncology space. What what is it about um, oncology that you find so rewarding or um, you're passionate about? Um, well, people often ask that, and and particularly when I was practicing um, a dietetics and, you know, isn't it depressing? Um, well, yes, a little bit, but um, the what you can do to help makes such a big difference, not only to the patient, but especially to the families. The families suffer as much as the patient. Um, and and um, more recently, I would say in the last 10 years or so, um, it, it became obvious from the research that we could show the clinician that patients who were well-nourished um, had better outcomes. They were better able to complete treatment, um, uh, were less likely to discontinue treatment, were more often able to have the right dose at the right time. Uh, and so it was really a uh, a win-win for everybody. Certainly improves quality of life. Yeah, I, that's what I really loved about the oncology space. It was my favorite dietetic space. It's, yeah, that was so rewarding to see the opportunity you had to improve patient outcomes. Um, you've had so much successes and accomplishments, and what are you most proud of through your career? Oh, the um, the development of the team. Uh, and and the reason is that, you know, you can say, oh, well, you know, we launched this product or we've had this, you know, research area or um, uh, one of the other things I did was um, go to um, Singapore to help Abbott um, with the development of a new research and development center there. That was very interesting. But my proudest accomplishment is the team because you're leaving something for the company um, or, or your um, university or hospital um, when you develop a good team that um, stay and give back. Um, so by far, that's my proudest accomplishment. Yeah, and I, I think it goes beyond that. So, um, you know, I've been able to take a lot of the learnings you've taught me over the years into the work that I do now, and I'm very grateful for that. Oh, but you also had a, amazing relationships with a lot of the investigators too. I know you probably would like to mention your special relationship with Ken Fearon, who was our principal investigator. Right, right. Um, I, I think that one of the things that we have to learn is um, to identify investigators that are 
um, capable at the top of their field are interested in um, the same kind of research, and then you have to listen to them um, and seek their advice on as, as much as they'll give you. Um, too, too often it's tempting to say, well, you know, I work at a very important company and, you know, we do all kinds of things and I know, but developing that, um, that ability to learn um, so much from other people. And you're right, um, um, Professor Ken Firon, uh, who's a, a, um, a, a surgeon in Edinburgh and a, had always been interested in the field of cancer cachexia. Uh, and um, was so helpful in um, helping us to um, develop the, the research process and the, the um, different studies that we were going to do to be able to launch this product. And in the end, we were able to do that, to, to initiate each one of the studies that um, we had planned. You're always really good in creating long-term relationships with people. I, I, as I'm thinking about that, I think you're the, the queen of the handwritten note. And I still <laughs> love getting your, you know, I still get letters from you today, which is pretty much unheard of. Um, yeah, how did you build those long-term relationships? Is there any tips you might have for younger dietitians? Um, I think because the people we work with were so interesting that you just didn't want to lose that contact. I mean, just because you finished this one study, um, you didn't want to, you know, lose contact with that person or that friend that you develop or that dietitian colleague um, because they were so interesting. Um, and then, of course, we'd meet at, at the various oncology or nutrition meetings um, all over the world. And it was, you know, we could stay in contact that way. Mm -hmm. um, I was once told by um, uh, somebody I worked with in a volunteer agency that you, um, you, you should say thank you three times in three different ways. And so, you know, a verbal thank you. Um, I mean, now there's so much, you know, electronically, um, but people really still do like a handwritten note. So I think that's important. I really like that. Um, I really like to say thank you, but yeah, three thank yous. I, I like that. I'm going to take that away from our conversation today. <laughs> um, and then your most recent um, achievement, which I know was a lot of work and a lot of time, um, being the editor for um, the latest edition of the Oncology Nutrition for Clinical Practice. Um, tell me a little bit about your experience as an editor. <laughs> Well, I think I first of all need to tell everybody that I was very sad when you said that you wouldn't edit it with me. Um, uh, I always said that Marie could write faster than I could read her work, and she writes extremely well. Um, so that made me very sad, but we had to go on without you. <laughs> um, and uh, so you know, we identified um, people who were had some expertise in various um, fields uh, of, of nutrition intervention in different tumor types um, in, um, uh, and in different areas that um, are for chapters for the book. Um, and uh, when we would receive those, then we had to get the, um, each chapter in the same style. So the person who would, did the original draft of the chapter um, um, had the expertise 
but then it had to be rewritten and remolded so that it had a flow from chapter to chapter. You couldn't have a different style of writing. Um, in in uh, you know you, you would have had twenty seven different styles of writing, um, and that wouldn't have been easy reading or easy studying because part of the um, what this um, book does is a study guide for uh, dietitians who are doing um, the becoming um, experts in um, uh, oncology nutrition and become clinical specialists in oncology, become board certified. Um, then it would, um, after we did that, then it would go to um, somebody who, another person who had expert expertise in that area, and they would give us advice on things that needed to be added or changed or maybe weren't quite so important or helped us with better language. So that was very important, uh, very helpful. And then it went to the classical editing, and that was the most challenging part of all. Um, I mean, certainly there was a lot of time put in prior to that, but when we would get these edits back from somebody who said things like one of my favorite ones was, um, uh, we use the term nutrition impact symptoms in oncology. And um, she she said, well, that's not a word. That's not a phrase. Uh, But it is in oncology. We have to keep that. We can't use, we can't change that. So there were, you know, there were dozens of things that were like that, that uh, um, were, were a bit of a challenge. And anybody who's had an editor like that, had the responsibility for an editor like that will give you um, similar examples that are, are funny and, uh, and, and a little bit stressful. And you have to negotiate carefully. Some you have to give on and some you, you just have to pick your bags. So how long did that end, process take? Oh, it was at least two years, but uh, actually probably a little bit longer, but we had problems with COVID. Um, so um, many of our right, uh, our authors um, uh, were having challenges because they had to learn to do their nutrition counseling online or um, uh, in a different way. A couple of them, um, uh, then we had problems with um, staffing. So some of our our editors that were working on um, uh, design and layout and um, adding the tables and graphs, um, they were having cuts in their um, uh, departments as well. So we had substantial delays um, uh, that were um, because of COVID. Well, I know all the oncology dietitians are loving it and it's already in its second print run. So it's yes. going to be a very useful, um, you know, textbook for, for oncology dietitians in the future. Um, what have been some of the challenges you've had to overcome in your career, Anne? Um, I, think, um, I think patience is one. And th- this is really important, I think, for um, younger dietitians to to kind of learn the patience that you are are required. I'm having difficulty explaining this. Um, uh, Patience in how long it takes you to learn uh, all the things that are necessary. I graduated from Ohio State in this novel new program that, and we were told that we were you know, the cream of the crop. And so we sort of thought we were. And you had to be very careful in um, 
uh, how you approached new areas. Not everybody thought you were the cream of the crop. And I think that happens in hospitals, in um, uh, in schools, in uh, educational settings, uh, and in companies that you you have to learn from the people around you, and you have to have a little bit of patience. Um, and that's that's difficult to do. Um, and you need to enjoy each step. Um, I, I think that's so important. Then the other big challenge that I had was I had small children. My husband was extremely helpful. Um, and not everybody has that um, support system that I had. Uh, but that was um, always a challenge. I, you know, when I was at work, I felt like I needed to be at home. And when I was at home, I felt like I needed to be at work. And interestingly enough, I heard a an interview with a Congress, um, a U.S. Congresswoman um, this week, and she expressed the same challenge um, that she has. Um, and I always told the young mothers, nobody can be that child's mother but you. Almost anybody can do this job, and you're going to have plenty of time. I didn't even get the job at Abbott until our youngest was a senior in high school. Um, so, uh, you know, that I think is very important that you have patience to um, appreciate where you are in terms of your life, in, in terms of where you are in your life. Mm-hmm. And your life is, is not over. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a, a, a wonderful, exciting career um, when my children were all grown. I don't have children, but I'm, I, and I don't think I had a full appreciation of the juggle that mums have to do until I'm having to juggle with my parents. It, it is quite a juggle. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like your idea of, um, I know they talk about in Australia, you, you can't do everything. And so you have to kind of, we'd like to think we can, but we can't. And, yeah, being present where you, where you are at that point in your life. Yes. What? personal attributes or habits do you think might have contributed to your successes along the way? Oh, gosh. That, I, I, I've thought a lot about that. Um, I've always been interested in people and their personalities, and um, so I think that's a helpful attribute. Um, always interested in what other people are doing and what they're thinking. Um, and I and that helps you, um, you know, get this from this person and this and this and this, and then you kind of can, can, um, bring it all together. I also um, have a hard time holding still, so I um, I have a lot of energy, uh, and I think that's very helpful. Um, and I am able to concentrate. Uh, um, sometimes I have to find a space or a place or a time. But um, once I get get there, I, I really can concentrate. And I and that's uh, another hint is finding your place in time. I'm really good in the mornings. Um, and so I would, when I'm doing a lot of writing, I would get up early um, because that's the, the time I am the most creative. Mm-hmm. I'm the same. So I really like summer here. When the, I'm kind of up at 4.30 with the sun coming up. Um, and I always recommend to younger dietitians to have many, many mentors, both within dietetics and outside. Have you had some mentors along the way that have been helpful to you? Um, you know, I, uh, that's another very interesting question. That is something that I did not do well. 
Um, I had, when I was very young, I had um, a, a mentor, the, the woman who was the director of the medical dietetics program at the university was a wonderful mentor. Um, and But after that, I, I wasn't very good at that. I, I kept thinking that I needed to do this um, I, I, that on my own, that I was, uh, if, if I um, asked for help, I, it would make it look like I didn't know what I was doing and I should know how, what I was doing. Um, so I was not very good at that. And I, 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 I really think that that's so important um, and finding mentors at any place in your career. It doesn't matter how old you are. Mm-hmm. You know, again, as I because I was a bit older when I started at Abbott, I hesitated finding, you know, or looking for a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it doesn't really matter. And it doesn't matter if that mentor is younger or older. But I think from my perspective, you you did connect with other colleagues. So like Charlotte and Sue Finn, I don't know if you, you know, I think you did connect with other colleagues or peers that, that must have helped you in, in some regard. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, maybe I just didn't think of them yeah, exactly. as, as mentors. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And would you have one tip for someone starting their career in dietetics? Oh, yes. Well, maybe not one. Um, I think you need to be um, as cooperative as possible with your colleagues. Um, I think it's so important um, to share your experience uh, with others, um, to be collegial. Um, And dietitians can tend to be a, a, a bit of a loner. We're very detailed oriented. And I would always sometimes make a joke about, you know, somebody being over in the corner, taking something out to the third decimal point when we didn't have good data to start with. So um, you know, really it's important to, to work with others and be so cooperative and collegial. And I think that is um, a real key to success. I know Sandra, I know you, you know Sandra well. Um, yeah, hates going out to the third decimal point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, is there any funniest, weirdest, best moment that's happened to you in your career? Oh, I think I told you the, the story about the briefcase. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the funniest things when I was so tired, I couldn't think straight. So, um, but I, as I said, I was very glad that I did get my briefcase and my computer home with me. <laughs> so I, I think it is important to not let yourself get too tired, so tired that, you know, you're working so hard. And, uh, um, you have to leave time for yourself. I think I also learned how to super pack from you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. My friends joke that I had a, a navy blue trip and a black trip. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. I learned that from you. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Anne. It's just I'm so grateful for the opportunities you gave me when I was so young. And I know Harold's listening in the background, your husband, and you were both so lovely to me. I mean, you really took me under your wing. I was very young. Um, you took me into your home. Harold taught me how to drive in the US and on the other side of the street. You know, you gave me furniture to set up my first apartment. Um, you went above and beyond um, when you brought me over to the US. I mean, just getting me to the US was, I know, uh, a, a huge amount of work and effort to do that. And I'm just so grateful 
for the opportunities that you gave me back then and that I've been able to take from there. Um, you were an incredible mentor and I've learned so much from you that I'm able to share with the people that I work with today. So it was just I wanted to be able to have this conversation and um, put it out on the public record of how grateful I am for the opportunities that you gave me. Thank you. Do you have time to tell the funny story about I wasn't so nice when I sent you to Chicago in the freezing yes, cold? Yes. <laughs> Not realizing that you wouldn't have the right clothes? Yes. Um, so I um, had to do some training in, in Chicago in the dead middle of winter. And I was coming from sunny Brisbane and I thought I... Um, I thought I would like to, you know, I'm a tourist. I love traveling. <laughs> I thought I would do the, I think it's called the trolley tour. Um, so I'm standing on, um, for anyone that knows Chicago, you know, there's all the, what do you call them? The, the rails and the city. Yeah. The, the, the river. The trolley tracks. Yeah. But the, you know, hey, the, there's the river that kind of goes through. And so I was standing oh, yes. on the corner with, with the river yeah. going both ways. So the wind was just coming through. I'm standing there waiting for this trolley in the middle of winter. My nose is getting red. I've got a little flimsy coat from Brisbane. <laughs> and um, then I finally... No boots. No, no boots, boots in the freezing no snow. Not equipped for winter at all. And I finally asked someone, like, where is this trolley? And they're like, it doesn't run in winter, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I quickly had to equip myself with some winter gear. <laughs> and she still came to work for us at Abbott, even after I did that to her. Yeah. So we had a lot of fun times. I have a lot of fond memories. So, yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for the lovely conversation today. It was lovely to, to hear about your journey and learn some things that I didn't know. Oh, thank you. It was great talking to you. Thanks, Anne. And um, we look forward to seeing you on a future Dietitian Connection podcast. Thank you. To get all of the links and resources we discussed through this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review for us and a rating on the Apple Podcast app. Tell us what you thought about this episode, what you learned, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We really value hearing from you and we really value your feedback. So please, please hit that review button. 